The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, King of the universe, Almighty God, creator of everything, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, sovereign, holy, just, loving, and unchanging. We, uh, we just come before you. We pray that you'd give us the humility um, to see ourselves as we are and to see you as, as you are. Um, thank you for Peter and um, just the mirror that you give us in his life to see ourselves and how we might respond to you. And um, Lord, we pray that you will show us how to get behind you, that we'll let you lead, that we'll follow you and not follow our ways, but trust in you. Lord, help us not to uh, put our hope in the ways of man, but help us to trust in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right, good morning, everyone. If I have not met you yet, my name is Randall, and so when they keep saying, at Randall's house, or Randall, then... That's me. So I'm glad you're here this morning. This is the first time that you're here. Um, again, uh, happy Mother's Day to the mothers here. Um, we're very thankful for you. And so uh, we are doing this series, um, Following Jesus, and it's uh, this uh really short three-week series that we're doing here. Um, we, we're studying uh, Matthew 16. And so one of the things that Jesus says uh, throughout the book of Matthew, throughout the Gospels, is, is just two words, follow me. Right, follow me. Uh, so what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and that's what we're studying here in uh, today's text and, and really in this series. And so our text today is from Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And the message is uh, following Jesus when you don't understand Following Jesus when you don't understand. Now, Matthew uh, wrote this, this book here, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is God's word. And um, one of the interesting parts of the book of Matthew is that Matthew is, is not only writing historical facts of things that have happened, but he's also sharing his own story. He's sharing his testimony He's sharing how he came to know Jesus personally. And in Matthew 9, 9, it says this. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Matthew is writing about himself, about his story. But I want you to think about those first two words. He saw. He saw who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus saw him. 
Right? That's so important for us to, to think about, to remember, is that, that Jesus saw him. And who did he see? He saw Matthew. Where? Sitting at the tax collector's booth. Why don't you think about this for a minute? When you think about your lowest point, and that Jesus saw you there. The tax collector's booth was the place for traitors. That those are the people that turned on their own people. And then it says that he saw, Jesus saw Matthew sitting there. He finds him there, and what's he say? Follow me. Follow me. See, these words from Jesus, they echo all throughout the book of Matthew. Follow me. Matthew 4, 19 through 21, Jesus says, follow me. Matthew 8, 22, Jesus again says, follow me to people like Andrew, James, Peter, John. These are normal, everyday people here. And Jesus is coming to them and saying, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. So again, if you've walked in here today and you've kind of discounted yourself and said, there's no way that I could ever be a follower of Jesus, welcome to the group. Right? Welcome to the team. Jesus is inviting in the least likely. See, all of these were unexpected encounters with Jesus. And at this moment, Matthew didn't have his life together. He's a tax collector. I'm pretty sure he didn't expect to change careers that day. But it was the simple invitation of Jesus to follow that changed his life. And so today we know Matthew, not as a tax collector, but we know him as someone who's followed Jesus in written scripture. It's powerful. And so as followers of Jesus, there are moments where Jesus' disciples, and we're going to see it here in today's text, didn't understand what he was saying and what he was doing. What you're going to find is followers of Jesus are not finished products, but we're works in progress. We're all works in progress. And so we find that Jesus' followers here, they, they misunderstood him. They misinterpreted him. They misapplied what he said. And at times, they just missed it completely, okay? And so if you find yourself in those categories, again, welcome to the club. See, this should be encouraging for us today because there are many times in our lives where we can simply fall into the same categories. And what does Jesus do? He invites us back in. He says, let me teach you, because the word for disciple is what? It's, it's a learner. It's a student. And so Jesus is looking for students, saying, will you learn from me? Will you come follow me? You're not the leader anymore. I'm the leader. It, it's about following and trusting him. This week, I was a part of a training with um, City to City. Um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a a training uh, for gospel-centered uh, church planters, right? And so uh, we're, we're walking through some different uh, material this week, and one of the things that stuck out to me was this. It says this, that, um, 
Jesus was asked 183 questions. We see this in the Gospels. Definitely more than that as he walked this earth, right? But 183 questions were asked of Jesus. Three of those questions Jesus answered directly. Three times. 307 times. These are the number of times Jesus asks a question. So they ask a question. Jesus asks a question. Why did Jesus do this? Because he wants us to understand. And many times what happens is we understand when we start to really think about what we're asking. So Jesus really wants to get to the heart of what we're going through, what we're struggling with. He's inviting us into a conversation. And I love it. Uh, One time I I was reading... uh, through this, the, this commentary on the Psalms is Derek Kidner. He said that um, Jesus, and really God in general, understands us and how we speak when we're desperate. When we're desperate. Because when we're desperate, we start asking questions. We start trying to seek answers. We're not coming any longer with all of the answers ourselves, But we're really brought to a place where we start to ask questions. And in those questions, Jesus can change our lives. And so what does it look like to keep following Jesus when you don't understand? When you look up to heaven, you say, God, what's going on in my life right now? Because I wasn't expecting this. Well, our text today is Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Just to give some background, um, last week uh, we talked about this, but Jesus at this point in Matthew 16 has started his public public ministry, um, and he has gathered to himself 12 disciples to learn from him, but we also see other followers that are there, uh, both made up of men and women that are followers of Jesus but specifically these 12 disciples. And he, and he had just taken them to a location called Caesarea Philippi. And as we looked at last week, this was a very dark place in the ancient world. I showed you a picture because we were able to, on our trip to Israel, walk through Caesarea Philippi. And this was not a place for the average Jewish person to go because this was a very dark place filled with uh, worship of other gods and, um, and also worship of uh, Augustus Caesar. And so there was a, a, a temple built to him there because they believed that he was Zeus incarnate, right? And so there was all of these other religions kind of battling for attention. And so Jesus takes his disciples there and he says, okay, at this place, Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Right, So the places we think are like the darkest places. There's nowhere that, that any good could come from this. God, Jesus says, hey, the gates of hell will not prevail against what I can do, my church. Right, And so that should give us some type of hope as we're thinking about today's text. And one person in particular that uh, is highlighted there is Peter. Peter was highlighted there because Jesus asked them this question. He says, who is it that people say that I am? Who is Jesus? And Jesus' Jesus' disciples say, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Like, 
some, some of those didn't even make sense, right? Like you're John the Baptist. Hold on, wait, John, John the Baptist, John the Baptist? No, like Jesus was there when John the Baptist was walking around, right? So there, there's some confusing answers, much like today. You ask people who Jesus is, they got a bunch of different ideas, a bunch of answers, maybe even some that are like that. And Jesus says, okay, well, who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. Right, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to him and says, okay, you're on the right track. You are on the right track. This, this wasn't revealed to you because you just kind of came up with this on your own, but the Father, God the Father has revealed this to you. There's something spiritually happening in your life. And so Peter is like highlighted uh, and he's excited, right? And then that's where we find this next section of scripture changes. Jesus saying, okay, I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm the Christ. I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm the Savior. And I'm going to start to teach you some things. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus when we don't understand what he's saying? Um, well, we see three areas in today's text that can help us. Number one, it's face hard realities. Number two, identify manipulation tactics. And number three, reset their mind. Okay, so what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's, he's, he's having them face hard realities, identified ma- manipulation tactics, and reset. He was resetting their mind. Okay, and so uh, Jesus led by helping his disciples. Number one, as we see this, he says, okay, I'm going to teach you some things here. Face hard realities. And so look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So what's happening here? Well, this gives us a glimpse into what Jesus did after he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. He's teaching them. He's teaching them very specifically here about what is about to happen. As we saw, Peter proclaimed that Jesus was and is the Christ. Again, Peter was saying, you're not just a good teacher or prophet. You're the son of God. So now Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to reveal to you more about who I really am. Are you able to receive it? Are you able to receive it? So verse, at the beginning of verse 21, uh, it says this. From that time, so what time? From that time that Jesus asked them, right, brought them to Caesarea Philippi. From that time, things are changing, okay? Jesus began to show his disciples. So he's like, I'm going to show you something. I want to show you something that's really important about myself, about why I came. This is really important. Now, it doesn't say it specifically here, but we see it even in Matthew. Matthew starts to make these connections as we we read through the book of Matthew. You know the book of Matthew is written specifically to uh, the Jewish reader. 
And so what we see is that Matthew is making these connections from the Old Testament, and he brings them into the New Testament. What we see is the New Testament and applies them to the life of Jesus. Who taught him that? Jesus. Right, Jesus taught him that. What he's doing is he's taking these Old Testament scriptures. Okay, you remember this saying? That was me. Remember what it says here? That was me. He's making all of these connections, right, to who he is. But in a very specific way, he's making these connections, not to the really nice things of what they believed about the Messiah, but actually the really hard things. What does he do? He says, must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Do we see these types of prophecies and predictions in the Old Testament? Yes, we do. One simple one that you can go back to again and again, Isaiah 53. And so, like Nick was saying earlier, who has predicted their death Burial, resurrection. There's only one. There's only one. He walked this earth 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is telling his disciples before it happens, here's what's about to happen to me. Now the question is, do they want to face that reality? One commentator, Leon Morris, says this. He says, from then marks the incident as of critical importance. It changed the whole thrust of Jesus' instruction of the 12. Now that it was clear that the little band had come to understand that Jesus is indeed the long-promised Messiah, he proceeded to teach them something of what Messiahship meant. For Jesus, suffering was the essence of Messiahship. And from this point on, he brings it out again and again. And so there's some different scriptures where Jesus brings it out again and again. Learning this was a lesson the disciples found very hard indeed. This may be the point of Jesus's, or Matthew's, began. It would be a long, slow process. But Jesus began it right after Peter made his magnificent affirmation and the others presumably acknowledged the truth. So you think about Jesus, his disciples. Peter makes this proclamation. Yes, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And all the disciples are like, yeah. They're shaking their head. Okay, yes. You're the Messiah. And then all of the things that were in their head about what the Messiah should be and do start to be challenged by the reality of what Jesus brings to them after that. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, there are some things that we think about Jesus and how he should operate in our lives and what he should do and what he should be and all all these other things. They just kind of pile into our minds, pile into our hearts, and we start to apply it to Jesus. And you know what happens? When we start to read the Bible, it starts to challenge some of the assumptions that we make about who Jesus is. You read the Bible and you think to yourself, "I, I... Jesus, why would you say that? How could you say something like that? We don't, we don't, again, we don't know the context. We don't know what's going on, but we're just like, well, Jesus, that doesn't match up with what I want to hear. See, Jesus is inviting us into a conversation. 
Ask your questions. But I'll have a question of you too. What are some of the assumptions that you made about me that aren't in here, right, that you're not seeing in my life? So again, it's getting us deeper into who Jesus really is. And Jesus is saying this, will you accept me for who I am and what I came to do, not who you want me to be and what you wanted me to do? See, they wanted him to defeat the Romans. Jesus came to defeat sin and death. There were much bigger things that Jesus came to do, and he didn't come to destroy the Romans. He actually came to save them. Wow. He came to save our enemies. That's pretty radical, right, into the way that we think. See, this was a hard reality for the disciples to understand. And there are caricatures in our minds about what we want Jesus to be and who we think he is. The hard reality is that Jesus defines who he is, not us. I don't define Jesus. I don't define who he is. He defines himself for who he is. And so second is this. He identifies the manipulation tactics. Now, I use this word specifically about manipulation because it's, it should shock us, right? Manipulation? I would never. <laughs> Peter would line, align with that too, like... It's not manipulation. I'm just trying to point him in a different direction here. You know, like let's let's sugarcoat this a little bit, but but identify manipulation tactics. And so look at verse 22. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Okay, well, what's next here? Peter. Peter. Peter just, just made Peter. You, you are doing so well, buddy. Peter, right? And Peter, he's feeling good about himself here, takes Jesus aside. Jesus, let me take you in private real quick. I don't want to have this conversation for the other disciples, but I need to take you aside. Jesus, remember, Peter's coming off an amazing moment. Jesus called him the rock the rock yes he's about he jesus is like you're going to do great things in the church see peter didn't know it yet but he's going to preach that that sermon on pentecost yes peter's peter's going to be the one to, to open the doors to cornelius and tell him about the vision he had about how cornelius and many more are going to romans going to become christians He's got all these great things in store for him. And then he misses it. Here's how he misses it. And we can fall in the same trap. He wants to control Jesus. He wants to control Jesus. You see that word in there? He says, far be it from you, Lord. The thing about Jesus' lordship is this. You and I do not control the Lord. We're not in charge of the Lord. We don't don't tell him what to do. It's actually when he is Lord, he tells us. This is the truth. This is what I'm telling you to do. Right? See, where does most of our attempts to control and manipulate God happen? In private. 
Jesus, God, God, I need to talk to you about something. A little private conversation with you, God. Don't want anybody else to hear this, you know, but, but, but here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what I'm thinking. Why are you not coming through for me on this? I really don't understand, God. If I were you, I would do this a lot different than what's happening down here. Do you see what's happening to me down here, God? Do you see me? We take them in private. I think about my kids. You know, I love my kids. They're great kids. You guys are great kids. I love you, man. And, you know, the thing is, I remember when I was a kid, and I would get embarrassed about my parents because there were things that I knew that I thought I knew that my parents didn't understand. And so I remember just how embarrassed I would get by my parents sometimes, and I would just be like, Mom, Dad, come here. Get over here. I need to tell you some things. You know what I mean? Like, and I look back, and I didn't know what I was talking about. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, and as a parent now, I get it. And, and, and the thing is with our relationship with God is like as you continue on this journey, you're going to get to those points where you look back and you say, I thought I understood, but I didn't understand. Thank you for being gracious with me. Thank you for being kind to me. Because look at what happens next. It says he began to rebuke him. He was rebuking Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, Jesus, that's a strong word. Again, commentator Leon Morris says this. He says, Peter is now assuming that he knows better than Jesus does what the master should do. He does not accept what Jesus has said and presumes to criticize him for saying it. For Peter... It is unthinkable that the one who has been just pronounced the Messiah, the son of the living God, should be rejected and killed. So he says forthrightly, this will never happen to you. His double negative is very emphatic. And with the future indicative, rather than the aorist subjunctive, this is taking us back to English class, even more so, right? So he's like, he's like, this is, this is a big deal. You will never ever do this you ever tell god i'll never ever do that you know what i mean <laughs> don't ever ever <laughs> like you you know and this calls us back to our hearts and how our sin can be so manipulative deceptive and get us to the point where we go back to the book of proverbs and it says that we we are wise in our own eyes, right? We are wise in our own eyes, and we think we know what's best. But actually, we don't. And so Jesus turns it back on Peter now. And in verse 23, he's resetting their minds, right? It's a reset of the minds. It says he turned, in verse 23, turned to Peter Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, what was this reset 
that Peter needed. See, he th- Peter thought that he needed to reset Jesus. He needed to rebuke Jesus, but actually Peter needed to be rebuked by Jesus. He needed to be set straight and, and right in the direction of this is what God's doing. And so Jesus is resetting him, right? Verse 23. David Platt says this. He says, just when we begin to think that Peter is getting it, he steps up and rebukes Jesus. Clearly, Peter is not, was not infallible. He goes from rock to stumbling block, which is the literal meaning of the word offense in verse 23. Get behind me, Satan, may seem uh, like strong language, but recall from Matthew 4 that a similar temptation was aimed at Jesus in the desert. He knows here in this passage that he must go to the cross to fulfill the Father's will. He knows that he's called to fulfill the Father's will. Not Peter's will, the Father's will. Right? And that's where he needed to be reset. And so these are things that God is doing, desires to do, that ultimately we can't do because look at verse 23. He says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's like, I gotta reset you because you are not thinking on what God wants. You're thinking on what you want. And that's the reset that we need. See, to receive this type of teaching from Jesus it takes humility. Uh, one of the places that we visited in Israel was, um, and this was in uh, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, the Church of the Nativity. And so what they do is they build all of these uh, beautiful uh, church buildings on top of very important places. And at the entrance to the Church of the Nativity, um, it's very low to get in there. And so it's like, it's like right here, right? You gotta, you gotta, to come in here. And so the, uh, our tour guide says the reason they made it this way is because everyone has to duck down to enter in. You have to humble yourself to, to get into the church of the nativity because you will not understand what's happening here if you do not humble yourself to come in here. See, that's how Jesus' teachings work. If we're not willing to humble ourselves to enter in, we will not understand what he's saying. See, what Jesus was doing, Peter could not understand in his mind. But Jesus was going to the cross for sins. And at the heart, who didn't want that to happen? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. The devil didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Ultimately, he didn't want the Father's plan. Jesus knew that. See, God wants you free and me free. He didn't want us to be trapped. See, that was the binding and loosing we were talking about last week. What is the only thing that can free us from our sins? It's the work that Jesus is going to do on that cross. It's the gospel. 
It's, it's God's work done for you and me. See, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. What are the things of God that God does the work, that God does the cleaning, that God transforms our lives? God's work done for you and me. Now, this won't be on the screen, but this is a, a quote from a guy named Ray Rivera. He says, the fall, Genesis 3, was a cosmic event. It encompassed not just humanity, but the human structures and systems as well. Through Christ's work of redemption, we achieved personal freedom. We also achieve structural freedom, which allows us to transcend our social, religious, national, and ethnic conditioning. There are places that we come from. There are things that we say, well, that's just who I am because that's where I come from. Jesus is saying, I want to free you from that and help you to live as a child of God. That's my past. Can't be freed from my past. Yes, you can. Because that's the whole binding and loosing thing. He's trying to loose you from the things that are from your past so you can experience the power of the gospel. You can experience the power of Jesus in your life. See, when you see Jesus saying, follow me, you're going to follow him into freedom that you would not have had on your own. And then you're saying, you know what? It wasn't man who did it. It was God who did it. It wasn't something I did on my own strength, but it's something I did on the strength of God. That's what he's doing. Right? But he's not getting sidetracked here. And so just some takeaways as we, we wrap up here. How can we follow Jesus even when we don't understand? Number one, don't give up on the process. Don't give up on the process. We see this here with Peter, right? God's going to work through Peter in profound ways. But this isn't about Peter because we see even Peter's influence start to fade towards the end of uh, the book of Acts. We see the apostle Paul rise up, right? And so they're, they're, but God uses him in a profound way. And so what we need to understand is this, that don't give up on the process. What helps you not give up on the process? Well, I would say seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus, that he's active, that he's in your life, that he's there. That he's not just in a book, but he comes off the page and he, he's seated on the throne. I was reading this prayer this week. I have this prayer book that I read in, every morning. And um, one of them was from Ambrose of Milan. He lived in the 300s. And I read this and I was amazed. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus, a look from you can embrace us with peaceful sleep and ensure that our dreams are pure and holy. Sin shudders and falters at your glance, and guilt dissolves into tears of repentance. Bring peace, Lord, to our weary minds and give rest to our tired limbs. May we live sin, leave sin behind us, and may our final reflections before sleep be prayers for your mercy. Amen. And I read that prayer, and I thought to myself, this guy lived in the 300s, but I know that Jesus he's talking about. I know him. And he knows me. You're like, I, I, I connect. I get it. So don't give up on the process because when you start to see Jesus and that he's still there and he's the one that saw you at the tax collector's booth and said, follow me, <laughs> then you'll see him in new ways. Don't give up on the process. Number two, learn to trust God's heart. I was recently lead, reading this um, Thomas Brooks 
He wrote a, a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, okay? And here's what he says. He says, God's hand may be against a man when his love and his heart are set upon him. The hand of God was sore against David and Jonah when his heart was much set upon them. Do you get what he's saying here? That sometimes Jesus has to give you the stiff arm and hold you back and say, nope, that's not for you. Okay, and you, you get mad, you get upset. Well, Jesus, what are you doing? But he's saying maybe his hand is against you because his heart is upon you. His heart is for you. And so he cares about you in a way that you don't even care about yourself. <laughs> you know, you, I, I would have led myself into that, destroyed my life if it wasn't for Jesus, right? And so learn to trust God's heart and that it's for you. And lastly, set your mind on what only God can do. Set your mind on what only God can do. I go to this place with my wife to work out. It's called Orange Theory. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about was this, like, I hate endurance work. I just hate it. I don't like it. I don't like running. It's, it's a lot of that. You got to be on the treadmill. You got to be pushing yourself. I mean, they're doing this heart rate thing and, and making sure that you're getting your workout in, you know, and it's everybody can see it. You're like, oh, everybody can see my workout and that I'm in the red and can barely breathe right now. Great. And so one of the things that they do is they're like, okay, you have these times when you're on the treadmill and they're like, okay, it's time to go all out. And they don't say all out. They're like, all out. You know, like they do this whole thing. We're like, all out. <laughs> you're like, okay, cool. And so you're like, in your mind, you got to set your mind on what you're going to do when that all out comes, okay, you got to set your mind to say, okay, I'm not just going to stay in this spot, but I'm going to set my mind on something that's above what I want to do right now, and I got to set it in there, and I'm going to push that button. And what they say is you can do anything for 30 seconds. And so I have to put that in my mind. And what I need is this outside voice that's telling me things that I just do not believe. That's why I go there. I need a voice. And then this guy, Fidel, he's amazing, man. He's just pumped up. He's jumping all over the place. And you're like, he's like, all out, you know, just one of those things. And, and it's like this setting my mind on something that's above what, what, I, what, what I naturally want to do. And what the Lord is calling Peter to, is saying, you need to set your mind on what God can do. You want to focus on yourself. You want to focus down here. You want to look at what you think about me. And I'm trying to give you a gospel word to raise it up here. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. We need good news that's beyond the low bad news that we think about. And here's the thing. I, I just went through the book of Matthew, reading it just devotionally. And I'm going to end with this. I'm not going to read it because we, we don't have time. But end of Matthew 27. I was reading it. It just like blew my mind. I just forgot. It said on the day of uh, preparation, 
the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and they asked for Jesus, they asked for like guards to be around Jesus' tomb because they said that the deceiver said, they're talking about Jesus, after three days I will rise again. Apparently, it was common knowledge at this point that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Like it was a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise because he'd already prepared them. He told his disciples, he's telling people out there in the streets like, hey, and, and to the point where the, the Pharisees, they knew that Jesus was going to rise, said he was going to rise, the deceiver. No, he did it. And they tried everything in their power to stop it. What you think is about man? Nah, only God can do. And God overcame every obstacle that they tried to put in his way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news for you today? That like Jesus overcame all of these obstacles that even people were trying to put, which is the greatest obstacle, uh, raising from the dead, defeating sin, yeah, all that. Yeah, he did that. So will we? Enter into that. We lower ourselves, humble ourselves to enter into what he's done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this good news, this good word. Lord, when we don't understand, we, 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 we think we understand. And you give us the stiff arm and say, no, you don't understand, but I still love you. My heart's set upon you, and so I'm, I'm going to keep journeying with you. Lord, and there's some of us today that have been struggling. We don't know why. We were just like, Lord, I thought my life would end up differently. But you're saying just, just humbly enter in. See what I have. See what I'm doing. And know that I love you. Help us to receive that good news today, Lord. And to follow you. Not when we like it. Not when we think we, you're aligning with what we want. No. We follow you as our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to take a minute here. Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Right? This is a prayer for God to start asking questions to us. Like Jesus asked questions to his disciples and many more. And so let's just take that time, pray. And open ourselves to, to God, what, what do you want? And we'll take communion in just a minute.
Father, we thank you for your patience with us. It says that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So we come to you, Lord, just thanking you for being so kind to us. Your love, we don't deserve it. It's purely by your grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.